0: All right, good morning. So, this morning I'm going to be continuing our Ephesians series. I was assigned Ephesians 5 21 to 6 9. If you're familiar with that section, it's really about the home. And he goes in and he talks about husbands and wives, he talks about slaves and masters, he talks about parents and kids. Um, And uh, it's a pretty challenging section. I feel like we've preached from this quite a bit through the years, and I I was trying to think about what would be perhaps most applicable and most encouraging, most inspiring, most challenging to you guys as a church, and so I didn't ask for permission. I just kind of did what I wanted to do. So what I want to do today is I want to zoom out a little bit, and I just want to take some of these themes, because again, he's giving us a new way to do homes. And I don't. you don't need me to tell you that the way that we often do homes is very different than what Jesus taught us to do. Our homes are very broken. Our homes, the way that we do family is attacked in our nation right now, maybe more than ever. Um, you know, we're very divided. We have lots of baggage. We have lots of hurts. Uh, our communication uh, methods are broken down. And uh, to me... You know, I I think to to try to express how important the family is for a society, I think would be a very difficult thing to do. I don't think I'm quite qualified, but I I recognize that the family very much is like a cell of society, you know? And you can look at society at large and its health and determine how it's doing and where it's going to go based on families and how they're doing in their health. That's something that lots of sociologists have, have written about is... That's one of the factors of looking at a society and its impending doom, is look in the homes. And so what I want to do today is I just want to challenge us on a few things. I will tell you, as I've said many times, one of the hardest things about bring a, being a, a preacher getting up and doing sermons, and many of you will relate because we use a lot of people up here, is it's incredibly convicting. You know, on the way this morning, I I don't feel qualified to give this sermon today, for sure. Often I don't, but... Um, Penelope threw up in the car i didn 't sleep at all last night wasn 't feeling very good, so I had very limited time i 'm typing away in the car j man 's driving, and Penelope throws up, and that throws everything off and so I was not the most patient. so I can say I very much feel what you 're probably going to feel this morning, uh, hopefully a little bit of uh, conviction. Chuck Swindoll, many of you will be familiar with that name he 's a pastor, I believe in Frisco and I think he's still pastoring, but he just said this, whatever else may be said about the home, it's the bottom line of life, the anvil upon which attitudes and convictions are hammered out. It is the place where life's bills come due, the single most influential force in our earthly existence. It matters how we do home. And too often it's one of the areas that we're the most lazy and the least purposeful. We come home to rest And we just turn off. If we're going to follow Christ and we're going to be people that cultivate His kingdom in our world, we can't do that. We need to be people of conviction, but we especially need to be people of conviction in our home. And I would encourage, whether you are a parent, um, a spouse, a teen, somebody in college, listen to this. Listen to this. That's one of the things that my parents drilled in early on for me and all of my siblings is make convictions while you're young. Because it's so easy to listen to this stuff and say, oh, this doesn't really apply to me that much. But it does. It does. Let's read this passage together and then I'm going to share with you what I'm going to talk about today. So again, this is Ephesians 5, 21, 6-9. Instructions for Christian households. It's what a lot of uh, translations will title this section. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands. What? Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands. But they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church, for we are members of His body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in training and instruction of the Lord. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only with their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. So again, this is the household code for followers. This is what we need to follow if we are to honor and glorify God and make an impact on our society. We talk a lot about shining like stars in the universe, and this is one of the best ways to do that through our family. So a little bit of context. Paul's been writing about relationships of believers as the body of Christ. Now he's turning his attention to the relationship of the followers of Jesus within the home. So I want to talk about four brief points. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Put others above yourself. Serve those you... uh, What? That's a bad sentence. Who typed that? What's my point here? Let me scroll down. I butchered that. Serve wholeheartedly those you live with. And then four, build each other up. In... 5.18-20, right before our section of 21, he talks about being not drunk with wine, but being filled with the Holy Spirit. And then he lists some of these things. This is one of the outpourings, outcroppings of being filled with the Holy Spirit is submission out of reverence for Christ. So point one, submit out of reverence for Christ. This sets the tone for all of the stuff we're going to discuss today. What does that mean, out of reverence for Christ? The Greek word there is phobos. It's a generic word for fear. Anyone possessed by this is in a state of alarm as a result of having been struck with the awesomeness of something or someone. Some of the similar usages in Scripture, because it's used in a lot of different manners, and a lot of times it's a rather neutral word, but I, I found some of the examples that it's used similarly, and it says... Note the reaction of the exorcists at Ephesus in Acts 19. The disciples when they saw Jesus walking on the sea in Matthew 14. The guards at the tomb when the heavenly messengers rolled away the stone. Phobos is, exercises an antiseptic influence upon an individual, both upon their character and within their relationships. It's a, it's a healthy fear. Right? A lot of translations use fear rather than reverence. And so you can maybe debate that reverence is perhaps not a strong enough word. Maybe we don't have enough connotations with it. But you see what happens in Scripture when people don't have a healthy fear of God, don't you? Right? We don't have to fear that He's going to smite us every moment. And too many of us are still buying into that type of fear. He's this God in the sky looking down, waiting for us to mess up, and He's constantly angry with us. But when you look at the narrative of Scripture, that's not what you see. There are certainly parts of the Old Testament and passages where you see God and you're like, I don't understand that. But that's why it's so important to get a proper vision of Jesus because He said He's the exact representation of God. If you want to understand God, you want to understand the Old Testament, you want to understand His anger or perhaps lack of patience, go look at Jesus and you'll see a perfect picture of righteous anger. He's very patient, He's very merciful, He can cover all of your junk, but he's not somebody to trifle with. You don't mess with him. And I know I do at times. I take advantage of his grace, and I know I'm going to have to answer to that. And you're going to have to answer to that. One of the examples that comes to my mind of forgetting this reverence, not being aware of God's power, is the unforgiving servant. You guys familiar with that story? We've been forgiven this tremendous debt and yet think about how many ways and times we go out with this attitude. We forgettin' we've We forgetting. We forgot what God has done for us. And we go out and we lord stuff over other people in these attitudes of pride and entitlement. As though people owe us. I know I do that with my wife at times in my own home. As though she owes me something. I've worked so hard. I've been through so much. I haven't gotten sleep. Whatever that is, I come home. It's my time to rest. You owe me. But that's not Jesus. And that's a hard thing to hold on to, isn't it? It's difficult. So who submits here? Because I think it's easy. We have this groaning within us. Surely not me. But this is a command for mutual submission for all of us. All of us are called to submit to our brothers and sisters in Christ. Our submission is not based on their merits. And I think we know that that doesn't work well anyway. I just, I I think, probably you've thought about this before. I, I, I would hope that you have. I just said, I think you could say that Jesus was truly deserving of all that was good. Wouldn't you agree with that? If there's ever anybody that existed that was truly deserving of all that was good, it was Jesus. But can you think of a time he ever acted entitled to good things? He let people wrong him constantly. And of his own accord, he gave up that which he could have had. I keep thinking of Philippians 2 all the time. He didn't consider equality with God as something to be grasped or obtained. He was fully God. And he had full rights to that. And yet he didn't go around and lord that over people. We take much less and lord it over people. You know, I don't want to spend a lot of time here. This is part of why I didn't want to go through and just exegete the whole passage. I think there's lots of good commentaries on on this section. And if you want some, I'm happy to share some of those resources. But I didn't want to get into headship and all the different models and debates. I didn't think that would be most helpful, although I do think there's fruit there. But one of the things that I just kept thinking about as I was thinking about how many people would process this sermon is just the negative connotations with submission. Because we've wielded power so poorly throughout history. Individually, collectively, have we not? And we're very fearful of those with power. We're very fearful any time... Anybody asks us to submit in in any manner. But when done rightly, in the manner of Jesus, there's no danger for abuse. Because it takes a very different sort of power to sit at the feet of sinners, it takes a very different sort of power to wash the feet of sinners. It takes a very different sort of power and it's wielded in a very different sort of way. That's why in Philippians, and we'll talk about this, he says, consider others better than yourself. And then he goes on to set the example. And what is it? He talks about Jesus. He didn't consider equality with God as something to be grasped. He didn't come to be served. He came to serve. That's power. But it doesn't sound like it. It's not the type of power we want. I think of Mark 10, 42-45. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who were regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their high officials exercised authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, Sorry, I cannot speak this morning. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give His life as a ransom for many. Headship here is turned on its head. So for any husbands that are having bought into this idea that I am the head of my household and what I say goes, that is not the way of Jesus. There's a lot to discuss there, surely. But Jesus led by being at the feet of His people. The greatest will be servant of all. You can't seek out power and genuine service at the same time. So whether you're a parent, a husband, a corfa, living in a ministry house, a landlord, etc., if you wish to follow Jesus and lead others effectively, it's going to be at the feet of those that you live with. Yeah. Amen. This is the way of Jesus, and this is the way of His new and coming kingdom. I want you just to take one minute. I know we don't do this a lot. Um, You can close your eyes, bow your head. You can write it down, put it in your phone, do whatever you want. You can spend this time in prayer. I just want you to take one minute, and I just want you to reflect or journal what God is maybe calling you to do here when we think about submitting out of reverence for Christ. Is there something God is calling you to do this week, today? What's He asking of you? Let's move on to the next point. I would encourage you if you need more time to do that, to jot that down and spend some time doing that later in your devotional quiet time. Point two is put others above yourself. I I like to jump ahead of my sermons. I can't help myself, so I've already gone over this a little bit. But Philippians 2, 3-4. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ... Listen to that. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ... This is probably the passage I quote more than anything else in my time in ministry. And I think about, because to me, this gets at the very heart of who Jesus is. You want to understand the heart of God? This is it. What pleases and glorifies Him? Having the same love, being one in spirit, being selfless, looking to the interests of others. When our desires and interests rule our motivations, we drive out unity. We drive it out. We drive out love. We are commanded to put others first regardless of our authority and regardless of our maturity or ranking or whatever we think about ourselves. And I think even regardless of their immaturity and their shortcomings, because that's where a lot of our excuses come in. Ephesians four, two to three says, be completely humble. Oof. I'm a far cry away from that. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. You know these first two points are very interrelated but I felt like it was important to emphasize both of them because this is awfully difficult to do if you don't consider others better than yourself. It's really hard to submit to somebody else, even out of reverence for Christ, right? if you don't value them. I always try to remember this quote and I always forget it. I need to put it in my phone, but C.S. Lewis, I'm going to butcher this. He just says something to the degree of like we don't have interactions. You know, there's no like ordinary interactions with ordinary people. That's a terrible paraphrase. But he just talks about we are all made in the image of God and we're eternal beings. And often we lose this view we need to be looking at all of our relationships through the lens of Christ. That I am looking at and dealing with a son or daughter of God. How could anybody ever be completely humble and gentle? With the Spirit. What are you doing to be filled with the Spirit? That's the answer. It's not just striving more, the answer is the Spirit. This is a natural outpouring of being filled with the Spirit of God. Do you, believer, make being filled with the Spirit one of the most top and most important things in your life? Do you make time for that? Do you seek it? Are you eager for it? Do you long for it? Because there's nothing more grand than being in relationship with the Holy Spirit. Amen? For those that have felt what what it feels like to be near to the Holy Spirit and to see Him at work, There's nothing like it. Amen? One of the challenging things to me, most challenging things uh, in Scripture to me is make every effort to keep the unity. When's the last time you made every effort to keep keep unity in, in your conflicts and your frustrations with people? Often we don't even sit down and try to think of new ways. We try one thing, it doesn't work, we were shunned, it was ineffective, whatever, I'm done, I tried, and we pat ourselves on the back as though we've done something grand. Jesus said make every effort. Why is unity such a big deal? We were just talking about this the other week in track. Unity is vital to the mission of God. I would encourage you to think about how our lack of unification with each other, individually, collectively, hinders what God is doing in the world. Because it does. It is vital to the mission. That's why in John 17, 11, part of His last prayer for His disciples was what? That they would be unified as He is unified with the Father. I would say that's awfully important, wouldn't you? If I'm praying on behalf of somebody else and it's my last prayer, please, Father, Help them to be unified as we are unified. That's a big deal. It's a hallmark of our faith. Unity is a hallmark of our faith. 1 John 4.20 Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. Now, this maybe doesn't feel like it lands for a lot of us because a lot of us aren't walking around with this feeling that we hate our brother and sister. But I think when you would, when you look at a lot of our feelings toward them and our thoughts and you look at our behavior, often it's a lot closer to hate than it is to love. Can you agree with that? You've heard me say a lot, and I know you've heard other people. I, I'm like Ronnie. I don't claim any originality. Likely, anything I said probably came from Ronnie. So whenever Clay gives me credit for something, I just give it back to Ronnie and he can give it to somebody else. But we say up here a lot that we love people best when you love God most. We love people best when we love God most. And that's what he's getting at here is that you can't claim to love God and not love his people. How could you ever claim to be a part of God and know who he is? This is the God that desperately loves his people so much that he gave up not just himself in a moment he gave up his life and i mean his whole life he was born in a manger he lived under persecution he was betrayed by his friends he had nothing in his appearance to attract us to him he was a man acquainted with grief he was always on the move when i think of a life that that is defined by Christ, this is what it looks like. But when you look at most of our lives, they don't look much like that. And it's difficult too in American society, isn't it? I live a very soft, a very privileged life. This is a high calling. But loving people is at the very center of it. I was thinking of some examples the other day and Jay was kind of helping me remember some of these. We like to use Brianna and our, our nieces as examples because if you know Reese and Ryan, they're awesome. And Brianna does a terrific job as mother. But um, Jay called Brianna the other day. And if you know, you know, Jamie Ann is my wife and Brianna is uh, her best friend. So she had called because Collins, our youngest, was sick and she was asking Brianna about this after-hours clinic that they had used And so uh, she wanted to know how much it cost, was it any good, all that. So Brianna was going to meet them there later. So Jay got Collins and Reese, not Reese. Reese is not mine. She got Collins and Penelope in the car to go meet them, and then was going to take Collins into the After Hours Clinic. So she took (laughs) Penelope over to Brianna's car so Penelope could hang out with them. It would just make the visit easier. Very kind of Brianna. Well, Reese had heard that conversation earlier at home, and when Jay went over to the car in front of Jay, Reese had asked Brianna if she could use her birthday money to pay for Colin's doctor appointment. What? She is so much a better person than I am. I love that so much. Reese is nine, by the way, if you don't know who Reese is. I want to brag on Ryan as well. I don't know if I remember all the details, but my mom told me a, a few months ago about Ryan, her youngest one. And my mom, I think maybe had picked her up from school or something and went to get those like, you know, those little colored gumballs. They have like white and pink and blue and red. And, you know, pretty much everybody loves the pink. And so at least in my family. So Ryan got a few of those and got in the car and chose the one that she hated the most to eat because she wanted to save the one for Reese and Tana that they liked best. And so Tana turned around and was like, you don't like that, do you? And she was like, no. So (laughs) I think my mom took care of it later. If you know Tana Claus, you know Tana took care of that. But man, to be able to get the spirit of that at such a young age is tremendous. It's, It's phenomenal. When is the last time... You put somebody before you like that in an extravagant manner. Just reflect on that. And maybe what is God calling you to do in response to that this week? What's an area that you could give like that? Okay, let's move on to the next one. Point three is serve wholeheartedly. Ephesians 6, 7-8, to 8, Paul says serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord not people because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do whether they are slave or free I can't help but just consider Paul and as I think a lot of us do an example here although he was in prison he was sitting here thinking of other people and writing these encouraging letters and directing his churches It's easy to think that oh yeah I would probably do something like that I think it's unlikely I think if I was in a Roman prison, I'd be thinking about myself. I think I'd probably be filled with doubt. I think I'd probably be angry at God. This is what I get. I'd love to believe I'm a better person than that, but I just think we take this stuff lightly. What Paul went through was no small deal. You've got to really believe in the goodness of God. You've got to really believe He's going to come through. You've got to really be aware of where God is working and see that and remember that. His letters were full of joy and passion and love and edification. That says something about him and his intimacy with Christ. But I think it comes back to our current position. Another thing we say a lot you can never outgive God. Do you know that? Do you walk day in and out with that reality? then no matter what you do, no matter how awesome you try, you will never outgive God. I don't know what, this is a, a, a cheesy parallel. Jamie Ann got me to go to the Taylor Swift concert with her forever ago. And then we got to relive that again because we went to like the movie theater version the other day. Whether you're a Swifty or not, I can tell you she is a phenomenal talent. She just is. Whether you like it or not, I mean, she's, she's phenomenal. She's brilliant. And I, I leaned over to Jamie Ann and I said, How does it make you feel that no matter what you or I do, we'll never be as talented as Taylor Swift in anything. It's just it's too high of a calling. But I think about that here, as cheesy as that sounds, you can never outgive God. I love what Ronnie said. It's something that's always stayed with me that if God didn't give me another thing for the rest of my life, he still has given me more than I deserve. And He's still good. Sadly, I know that theoretically, but I also know that if that was to happen, I would quickly turn on God. At some point. It's a, it's, it's a hard reality to live with because we, we think we're better than we are and we think we deserve things that we don't deserve. We are by our very nature objects of wrath destined for destruction. That's what we deserve. As much as we want to believe otherwise... I was trying to think of an example here. Some of you may know this. Some of you may know Michaela Miller. Some of you may not. Is she here today? No? Of course she wouldn't be here today. You can tell her I bragged about her. Um, But Michaela Miller... um, So let me start here. So during our regular monitoring, you know, of, of Jamie Ann and our pregnancy, we got stuck in Houston. Many of you know that story. We were thinking, the doctor was believing we would still make it a few more weeks before we had to deliver, but they, they noticed that she was having regular contractions and she wasn't feeling them yet. And so they came in starting to prep us, saying like, we think this is about to go down. Well, we're in Houston. Jamie Ann's mom had just gone back that morning because everything was going good. And we've got no help. And we've got Collins and Penelope in the room. You know, and so here is my wife, scared, about to have a C-section. And if I can't get somebody to watch the girls, she's going to have to go back there alone which is the last thing I want for her. And so long story short, what do we do? We do what we do in family. Jamie Ann calls Mandy Lanchani. Kylie gets word. Kylie calls Jamie Ann. She talks about this girl that uh, she knew at UTD that is at home just outside of Houston for the summer. So she calls her. 45 minutes later, Michaela Miller shows up at the hospital in Houston, doesn't know us from anything, and watches our girls late into the night while Jay has a C-section. That's phenomenal. That's what it looks like to serve wholeheartedly. It would have been easy, it would have been easy for Michaela to say, I don't know them, I'm not comfortable with that. I got I, I've I've been up all day, I've had a long day, you know, once you find somebody else. It's so easy to come up with reasons that we don't have to serve. Yeah. And it's so easy to come up with reasons not to do grand things because they cost us something. Mm-hmm. That cost Michaela something. Now, I know she's not directly part of our family, but she is part of our collective family of churches. And so I take just one more minute, and I want you to reflect again on maybe what the Spirit is calling you to do here. move a little bit quicker, but how can you serve those you live with wholeheartedly this week? Let's move on to the last point. I'll be brief. So point four is build each other up in the Lord. I'm passionate about all of these. I think maybe this one I'm I'm extra passionate about. So I think there's a really, really high responsibility for us here. Paul writes in one of his earliest letters to the Gentile church in Thessalonica, he says in 1 Thessalonians 5.11, Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. We are to be active, ever aware, and purposeful in our spiritual lives and relationships. The return of Christ will bring us all into His awesome presence. We are to live with this end, our new beginning in mind, both for ourselves and others. There's a lot of parables that that remind us to be urgent, that Jesus is going to come back at a time that we are not aware. And if we start getting this attitude of, I've got all the time in the world, it, it, it hurts us and it hurts those around us because we think that we can just make up for it later on. And you can't. We're not guaranteed that time. We say this a lot. It becomes cliche and cheesy perhaps to some, but Jesus may come back today. But whether He comes back today or in a million years, to me, doesn't change the reality of the fact that we get to be a part of His kingdom now and I want to operate this way. I don't want to wait to operate this way. I want, to, I want to encourage my brothers and sisters to imitate Christ now because it's the best way. It's best for us. I think humanity has been going on long enough to see that the way of the world is not good for us. And although that there's been plenty of abuses and misapplications, when done right, we see that the way of Jesus is uniquely powerful. Right? Jesus... Alone stands alone is the most unique figure in history. There's a reason that his name is still talked to, talked about today to the degree that it is. The prospect of Jesus' return is what should motivate us to edify one another. This is, again, at the very heart of our duty as brothers and sisters. Whatever your home is, whoever you live with, you should see it as a ministry home, so to speak. You know, we, we say this a lot, that it's, our home is our first place of ministry. Now, can that be abused? Of course it can. We, it's easy to use that as a bit of a loophole to be selfish. And I go home and we use these kind of monikers of like, oh, I do Jesus at home and it lets me off the hook here. And that doesn't work well either. But, it should be our first place of ministry. Whether you're married in your home or not, this is the best place for you to practice out the one another commands and what it means to be Christ-like. And the people that live in your household that maybe don't live up to that is not a reason or an excuse for you to change your standard. Your standard is still and always will be Jesus. Despite what my wife does or my kids do, although they're phenomenal by the way, but you could turn it around. Despite what I do, their standard will always be Jesus. That's difficult. I will kind of just say a word to parents here because I can tell you, pre-being a parent, just because of my, the model I've been given from my parents, but now that I am a parent, there's no responsibility that I feel and sense greater than building my kids up in the Lord. If there's anything that I would press too hard on, perhaps, this would be where the danger is. If I would step on somebody's toes, I have great compassion here, right? Where much is given, much is expected. I was given much. Not everybody was given the model that I was given, Ronnie's not perfect. Tana's not perfect. But I also recognize I was given something very rare. For those that didn't have that, for those that sit here and maybe have kids that are raised and they're looking back with regrets, the last thing I want to do is slam your toes with a hammer. But we have to preach this. Your greatest responsibility, parents, is raising up your kids in the Lord. The first commandment is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart. Mind, soul, and strength. When you become a parent, that is part of your duty for your kids. I don't, I don't hear that taught a lot, that I want my kids to love God more than me. But because of my parents, I can tell you emphatically, although it doesn't always sit easy with me, that I've bought into that. I want my kids to love God more than they love me. And I, I would say that for all of my relationships. It goes back to what we said earlier. We love people best when we love God most. Because He is the source of all love. Yeah. You can't love people best unless you God, love God most. It's impossible. I want to be brief here um, because I'm encroaching on 40 minutes already. Um, some of you are like, get me out of here. Uh, but I'm not going to cut it off. Um, oh yeah, I'll just go quicker. What are some ways to build each other up? I think many of us know these, but I, I want to say them anyway. For maybe the Spirit's calling you to, to focus in on some of these. Number one, speak affirmative words. Words of grace. Ephesians 4.29 Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Which of us is not built up in the Spirit when we hear words like, I appreciate you. I love you. I think you're awesome. God has used you to minister to me. You can go down the line. Two, be kind and tender. Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Genuine love is not easily offended. And we are living in a time where we are, many of us, easily offended. But again, when you consider others better than yourself, it makes it pretty difficult to become offended. Because you're not making it about you anymore. You're making it about them. Romans 12.10 Love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. Take the lead in honoring one another. Three, let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, encouraging one another. Hebrews 10. Life is tough. We talk about this a lot. It's it's integrated in the DNA of our church to be somebody's biggest fan. People need cheerleaders. People need cheerleaders. Are you a cheerleader for somebody in your life? I'd encourage you to go and pray. Who is that? Who is the Spirit calling you to cheer on in this season of your life? And I would hope you could find more than one, but you can at least find one, right? 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 Everybody's asleep. Um, Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. We push this a lot here. We can't all be scholars, but to some degree, we are all theologians. We're all called to be theologians. That's what it means to follow Christ, Christ is that we ponder Him. We're so amazed. We're so infatuated with who He is. I can't help but want to be before His truth. Right? I don't have to be able to exegete everything. We can't all know everything the same way. We don't all have the same time. We don't all have all the same skills. But we're all all called to love the Word of God. We're all called to dwell on that richly. It's going to be awfully difficult for us to build one another up in the Lord if we don't dwell on His Word. Simple enough, isn't it? And then lastly, bear one another's burdens. This is another practical way. Rejoice when people rejoice. Suffer when they suffer. Penelope, lately we've been potty training her and so whenever Jamie Ann comes out of the bathroom, Penelope says, good job mommy, I'm so proud of you. Which is <laughs> so ridiculous. But I was thinking, uh, and, I, and I'm wrapping up right here. Um, on a more serious note, something that's meant a lot to me through the years and being built up, Ronnie's done so many things. As if you know Ronnie, he's very purposeful. He's very strategic. Is that for my birthday, for as long as I remember, he gets these wide envelopes on computer paper and he types out, you know, an Uber 10-page encouragement to me. It's, it's my favorite thing I get on my birthday. To, to try to express what he does to those does end those in this brief amount of time would be difficult, but I would just say he encourages me. He encourages me in the Lord. He recognizes where I'm trying. He recognizes where I'm not doing well. And he encourages me on in both of those. Despite some of my frustrations with Ronnie at times, as every kid has with his dad, there's never been a bigger fan in my life than my dad and my mom. Be somebody's biggest fan. So I'd encourage you to reflect on that. But I'm going to go ahead and pray and wrap us up. And I just want to say, I believe in this church. I believe in you guys. I'm thankful to be in a family with you. I'm thankful for your grace for me. I don't deserve to get to do what I do. I'm not worthy of this. And I know our other leaders would echo that. And I know many of you would echo that. It is a privilege to get to be in a family with you. Pray with me. God, we just thank you. We thank you for the family that you instituted in our lives. We thank you for this greater family. Yeah. I just pray that we take it seriously. I pray that you can continue to build our vision and our hearts and minds of what a healthy and harmonious family can look like, one that really glorifies you and shines bright in our world, that we use that and leverage that, that privilege and gift uh, to affect those around us. We love you. Amen. All right, thanks. Go in peace.